0: Good evening Praxis, I hope all of you are doing well. A special shout out to the recent college grads, congratulations and welcome to the Praxis family. Before I start my message, let me open up our time in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word and we ask now that you would open up our eyes and open up our hearts to receive from you. We love you and thank you. In Jesus name we pray, amen. You know, I want to start off the message by sharing a story about my life. Believe it or not, I played JV football my sophomore year of high school. All 120 pounds of me, dripping wet, wearing all my gear. And the only reason why I got to play football was that our team was really bad. Our record was one and nine. Nine obviously weren't the wins. But before playing any games, every high school football team has to go through this ritual called Hell Week. It's when a team has two days, meaning a practice in the morning and then a practice in the afternoon. And much of the time, these practices are focused on conditioning. And it was just so difficult because we're in summer heat, we're dying, we're just trying to go through all of this. And I don't need to go into all the details, but let's just say there was lots of, uh, what's the medical term? Barfing. Lots of barfing going on. So in the midst of the sprints, the rolling around the grass, climbing hills carrying another player, distance running, up and downs, were guys wanting to quit. And that's what the coaches wanted to do. They wanted to weed out those who were mentally weak. But during these drills, there were a few players whom our team respected, and they kept encouraging us. And it was amazing how simple words, don't give up, let's finish this, come on. Helped us to not quit, to start the next drill, to come back the next day. Like the encouragement we needed during those drills, Peter is doing the same for his readers. He's encouraging those who are suffering for Christ. And this evening's passage is filled with encouragement and with hope to spur those on who are suffering. And really the underlying message for the verses that we'll be studying is this. Don't give up. You're not alone. Living and suffering for Jesus is worth it, and all will be made right in the end. This is the same message for us in the 21st century. You know, I'm very thankful that we live in a country that grants religious freedom, unlike Peter's day. But we all know that being a Christian is going to lead to more and more persecution in our society in the future. So for you, what comes to mind when I ask you these questions? How are you suffering for being a Christian? How have you been persecuted for following Christ? You know, not a general suffering in life but a specific suffering because you were wanted to stand out for Jesus Christ. I'm sure some of you have really suffered and have paid the price for following Christ by being disowned by your family, endured broken friendships, being ridiculed by co-workers because you've chosen to stand up For Christ to be honest it was at this point in preparing the message that I was convicted I've experienced persecution but it's been few and far between you know I don't wake up each morning saying you know it's a beautiful day to be persecuted you know let's go look for it no but I had to ask myself this question what does my lack of suffering for Christ say I had to really think about it it was very convicting Because some of us, we haven't had to suffer greatly for Christ, so it's easy to overlook how encouraging this passage is. But if you're suffering, then Peter's words, just like those encouragers on my football team, are motivation not to quit. Brothers and sisters, are you suffering for Christ right now? If so, be encouraged by Peter's words. And if you aren't suffering, then may these words convict you to live more boldly for Christ. Our focus will be on chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. But I'm going to start reading from verse 8, where we'll be reminded of the call to suffer for doing good. And then in verses 18 through 22, we'll see three encouragements to keep persevering for Christ. Encouragement number one is to remember the Son of God suffered. Encouragement number two is to remember my King reigns. And the last encouragement is to remember my savior saves so please turn with me in your bibles to first peter chapter 3 and i'll begin reading with verse 8. finally all of you have unity of mind sympathy brotherly love a tender heart and a humble mind do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling but on the contrary bless if you are zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went, and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, and powers having been subjected to him. The main points of the message is this, be encouraged, keep doing good because the path of suffering leads to our victorious king. So let's take a look at our first encouragement. Remember the Son of God suffered. You know, Peter's first encouragement is to turn the suffering sojourner's eyes to Christ because verse 18 is a beautiful gospel verse. We're reminded of the suffering Jesus endured throughout his life leading to the cross. The people who he was trying to save ridiculed him. They doubted, they persecuted, they punished, and they eventually killed him. But Jesus continued to suffer to save sinners. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, took on our sins. The unrighteous, filled with bitterness, anger, jealousy, lust, envy, greed, deception, murder, immorality... Jesus put them onto himself as he hung on the cross. Leading to the greatest suffering of all, his own father turning away from him as the father poured out his wrath. This is what's called the substitutionary atonement. We're supposed to be the ones receiving the wrath, but Jesus took our place and was punished instead of us. Now why did Jesus go through this? That he might bring us to God, you know, Take a moment and let those words sink in that He might bring you to God. You get to know and be known by God. You don't have to carry the guilt and weight of your sins and shame, but you get to experience freedom from your sins and acceptance as you come to faith in God. The result is that we get to receive and bask in this amazing truth. This is grace awe-inspiring grace you know, Peter writes verse 18 to remind us that Jesus' suffering life provides an example for how we're to live our lives you know, obviously Jesus' suffering life in the gospel is unique you know, we're not sinless, we're not God's son we're not able to do anything to bring about forgiveness for anyone else's sins but what we can do is follow in Jesus' footsteps by walking on the pathway to glory You know, what I mean by this can be summarized with this sentence, Suffering is the pathway to glory. Just think about it. The only way for sinful humanity to be brought to God was through Jesus' suffering. We see this truth throughout the pages of the Bible. The way that God brings himself glory is not through political power, it's not through popularity, it's not through finances, but it's through a submitted life, willfully, Walking the path of suffering. You know, this is so countercultural; It just blows our minds. The way for people to see Jesus and the gospel is through persecution. The gospel explodes when the world tries to restrain and constrain God and His church. You know, this doesn't make sense from a worldly perspective, but this is how God works. We see this throughout the pages of Acts. Peter personally experienced how suffering for doing good led people to hearing about Jesus. You know, one example is from Acts chapter 5, verse 40, and it says, they beat the apostles and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The result, verses 41 and 42, the apostles left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name and every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching jesus as the christ you know take a look through the pages of acts and you'll see the formula followers of christ who are willing to suffer and the result god is glorified by people coming to saving faith suffering for doing good is what makes jesus so compelling to a world that's looking for all these answers Suffering is the pathway to glory. This is the same formula today. Jesus is putting out the call asking us, the people of Praxis, to suffer for his name. Are you willing to suffer so that others may see the glory of Christ? Are you willing to put yourself out there by initiating a gospel conversation? We'll talk more about this later, but are you willing to die these little small deaths of rejection, ridicule, giving up your rights, in isolation so that someone else maybe would receive the saving grace of Christ. You know, this is hard, but this is Peter's encouragement. Remember the Son of God suffered for you. Jesus suffered so that you might be brought to God. So if Christ suffered, then it shouldn't surprise us when we suffer. For when you do suffer for the gospel, rejoice because you'll know you're walking in the same path that jesus did remember first peter chapter 2 verse 21 for to this you've been called because christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps you know brothers and sisters be encouraged to keep suffering by remembering jesus suffering for us let's head to the second encouragement remember my king reigns. I'm sure all of you have seen or read The Wizard of Oz. Do you remember after the witch melts away, Dorothy returns to the Emerald City to see the powerful and fearful wizard? And we all know what happens. Toto, the dog, pulls the curtain, unveiling who the wizard really is. He's just an ordinary guy controlling a machine and speaking into a microphone. You know, at this point in the movie, we get to see the whole picture because before the curtain was open, Dorothy and her friends were so fearful of the powerful wizard. But only after we get to see what was on the other side of the curtain, we realize that they didn't need to be afraid. The wizard was just a facade. This illustrates how many people view God. They think God is just ordinary or that he just doesn't exist at all. But Peter's argument is the opposite of the Wizard of Oz. Because he says, once the curtain is revealed, we're all going to be in fear of the living, powerful, sovereign God. But for God's children, we're going to see His love, His compassion, His care, His victory, and His triumph. And this is Peter's argument in verses 18b through 20. He knows his fellow Christians are suffering and they only see persecution and hardship. He wants them to see what's on the other side of the curtain. Because it's on the other side where they see hope. They need a glimpse of their future. That what they're enduring now is completely worth it. Have you ever faced prolonged persecution for Christ? If you have, then you may have experienced the temptation to throw the towel in to give up to get off the narrow path leading to Christ and to walk on the the wide, easy road that a majority of the people are on. I think all of us have seen how life does seem easier if we weren't Christians. It seems like those who do bad things get away with it. It seems so much more peaceful for not being targeted for being a Christian. It's so tiring having to go against the culture in so many different ways all the time. If you've ever felt that, then the second encouragement is for you. Unfortunately for me as a preacher, Paul uses an unusual and extremely difficult reference to make his point. Theologians famously use the phrase, much ink has been spilled over these verses. And it is so true with our passage. And before I try and explain them to you, I want you to know that every single commentary that I read had the same quote. It was a quote by Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, and he was known for being notoriously dogmatic in his interpretations of the Bible. But he said this about the verses we'll be studying. This is a strange text and certainly a more obscure passage than any other passage in the New Testament. I still do not know for sure what the apostle meant. So if Martin Luther had great difficulty, so did I. But throughout my study, I reminded myself that God wants to speak to me and to us through his word. Now we may not know with complete certainty all the fine details, but God makes the main point of these verses crystal clear. He wants to encourage the suffering sojourners to keep persevering because our future is secure and one day we're going to see our king let me read verses 18b through 20 being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit in which he went to proclaim to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when god's patience waited in the days of noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few that is eight persons were brought safely through water you know peter goes all the way back to genesis chapter 6 and 7 where we learn about the life of noah You know, the world in which Noah lived was truly sinful. So God was going to wipe the slate clean and start over. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7 says this about the condition of the world. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said... I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens for I'm sorry that I have made them persecuted christians understand the loneliness of standing up for god in a godless world noah felt it but god reminds noah that he's not alone because the verse right after it, verse 8, says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You know, what an encouragement that must have been for Noah. God was watching over him and caring for him. Today our king sees and watches over us as well. You know, the story continues by using a Sunday school song. The Lord told Noah to build an arky arky And so the Noah obeys and then the Lord rains, allows rain to fall for 40 days, flooding the earth and killing everything on it. So that's the background. Noah lived in a corrupt world, not wanting to follow God, but Noah followed God, faced enormous persecution, but through his faith in God, he was saved along with his family. So let's head into the details, specifically looking at verses 18b and 19. You know, Bible scholar named Wayne Grudem came up with three questions with three possible answers for each question that we'll use to keep things clear in our minds question number one comes from the second half of verse 18 it says when did Jesus preach option number one is in the days of Noah number two between his death and resurrection or number three after his resurrection question number two What did Christ preach or proclaim? Option number one is a second chance for salvation. Option number two is completion of his redemptive work. Option number three is final condemnation. And we come to the third question. Who are the spirits in prison? Option number one are unbelievers who died. Number two is Old Testament believers who have died. And number three are fallen angels. Got that? You know, in one commentary, it cites that someone had come up with 180 different exegetical combinations for these verses. Yeah, I told you, it was confusing. Now the one interpretation though you can't hold to is saying that these verses argue for God giving people a second chance for salvation after they have died. This goes against the teaching of Scripture that states that the gift of salvation has an expiration date, and that expiration date is the day you die. So we can't argue a second chance of salvation through those who have died. So, with that being said, here is how I humbly interpreted these verses using the three questions. Question number one When did Jesus preach? After his resurrection. Take a look at the second half of verse 18. Being put to death in the flesh is referring to Jesus' death on the cross and taking our sins upon himself. And made alive in the spirit refers to Jesus' resurrection. Jesus is no longer dead, but he is alive in a sinless, glorified state in the spiritual world. Question number two What did Christ preach or proclaim? Jesus proclaimed his victory on the cross. The word proclaim can also be translated heralded. And it was used in the ancient world of a person going to towns preceding the army, proclaiming or heralding that they were victorious in battle. Jesus' victory on the cross and his resurrection is final and everlasting. And as verse 22 states, he is proclaiming his kingship over everything. The spiritual world sees it now, and one day when Christ returns, our earthly world will see it too. And now the last question, who are the spirits in prison? This is the question some of you have been waiting to hear. But, wow, you know, look at the time. You know, I would love to answer this question and explain it all, but, but since I need to speed up this message, um, you know, Chris and Alan We'll happily answer all your questions in the Zoom rooms afterwards. Touché, guys. Thanks for giving me this passage to preach on. I don't want to put these guys on the spot, so let me share who I think these spirits are in verse 19. In the New Testament, the word spirit in the plural almost always refers to angels. And the word prison is used for humans held in captivity here on earth. But it's never used in reference to human beings after they die. On the other hand, prison is used to talk about where Satan and the fallen angels will be held until judgment. So I tentatively believe spirits refers to fallen angels who are in prison for their disobedience and rebellion against God. You know, these are the fallen angels found in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 these fallen angels disobeyed god and had sexual relations with human women enhancing the corruption on the earth second peter chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 can also be used as evidence for it says for if god did not spare angels when they sinned but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved noah a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. But now listen to the reason why Peter gives. He says this in verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So even though we suffer and are looked down upon now, We're on the winning side because Christ proclaims to these fallen angels his victory, that they have unwisely chosen to disobey him, and their punishment will be eternal. Again, let's not miss the forest for the trees. So let's step back and look at the forest and ask, so what's the encouragement? Remember your king reigns. There are only two ways to live. For humans and even for angels you either live submitting yourself to christ or you won't and what is clear is that there is a day coming when the curtain will be pulled back and when we're all going to see christ when you see him you'll either willingly bow your knee in reverence and worship or you'll be forced to bow your knee in defiance or painful regret for verse 22 speaks of christ and it says who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. The word subjected is the same word we've seen the past few months. Submit or subject yourself to governing authorities, masters, and husbands. You know, everything is already subject to the kingship of Christ, but just like Noah's day, God in His kindness is waiting patiently for people to repent and turn to Him, and He wants us to be suffering heralds for Him. You know, Peter wants us to remember suffering is temporary, but being with Christ is eternal. We see Noah's life suffered as he obeyed God's command to build an ark. You know, we don't know how long it took but we know this, that he faced persecution and suffered for it. But Noah and his family continued following God and suffering by doing good. And the word says, eight persons were brought safely through water. Remember, our suffering is temporary, but being with Christ is eternal. Be encouraged and keep on suffering by doing good, because one day Jesus will reveal himself in full and will be found that we're on the winning side. And this leads us to the third and final encouragement. Remember, my Savior saves. 27 years ago, as a college student, I remember standing in a pool at a church member's house. And there were two things that stood out. The first was that the water was freezing. The second was I was baptized that day. I remember sharing my testimony during the morning worship service with my unsaved parents there. And I was so nervous because my parents were there, yet I was also so excited because my parents were there. I wanted so bad for them to hear the gospel. You know, I just remember the conviction that I had to get baptized to let people know that I was a Christian. You know, I had gone to church as a kid, but it was when my high school years that kind of God grabbed a hold of my heart and transformed me. So by my first year in college, I was certain that I was a disciple of Jesus, and I wanted to let everyone know. And over the years, unfortunately, I haven't spent too much time reflecting on my baptism. But I realized pondering verse 21 that I should do it more. I need to remember my Savior saves. He saved me. One of the reasons why I think Peter writes verse 21 is to encourage those who are suffering by personally reminding them of how God saved their lives. Do you remember your baptism? Hopefully you're flooded with with good memories of a decision, convictions, and joy. If we don't take time to remember, there's the possibility that our love for Christ can become lukewarm or even cold. This is where remembering your baptism is important because it reminds you of your first love. And as we think of our baptism, God reminds us of how he saved us. He reminds us of the decision to follow Christ. And specifically, he's reminded us an important truth. Death leads to life. Verse 21 says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Being baptized doesn't save us, but it's an outward demonstration of what has happened inwardly. As you go into the water, your old self, sinful self, dies. And when you come out of the water, it symbolizes your new life in Christ. Just as Christ was resurrected from the grave, We're resurrected in Christ. We're new creations living for Him. But if you want to live, it starts with us dying to ourselves. Baptism represents this truth. In order to appeal to God for a good conscience, we first needed to come to God on His terms in faith and repentance. After coming to saving faith in our hearts, plead for God to continue to sanctify our consciences, meaning to continue to work in our hearts. But again, it starts with us dying to ourselves. So what, does, what, so what has to die in your life so that you'll continue or be willing to suffer for the gospel? Because death of self is a daily task. If we don't keep trying to kill our idols, then we'll slowly stop living a life of suffering. We'll choose to live like the world that's leaving us useless for God's kingdom. So what needs to die in your life? Do you need to kill your comfort? Do you need to kill your pride? Do you need to kill your reputation? Do you need to kill your people-pleasing? What is keeping you from suffering for Christ? Remember, death leads to life. Only when we kill the things that take our hearts away from Christ will we suffer for Christ. When we kill the sin in our hearts, we'll be able to see our resurrected selves. We'll be able to see how, why God created us the way we did, so that he can use us for his glory. Remember, our Savior saves. As I conclude, here's a thought. Take a look back at your younger self, maybe when you were in high school or your college years, and you were so afraid of what your friends thought of you. Maybe at the time you thought it was life and death. It was everything. But now look back and you just look back and you just roll your eyes because you shouldn't have worried so much about the potential suffering from them. You know, always living what they thought of you, caused you to miss out on things or you may have done things that you regret. You know, whatever it was, your fear of what others thought of you ruled your decisions. Now imagine your life now. Are there some similarities when it comes to suffering for Christ? When you're in heaven, or even five to ten years from now, I don't want you to regret not suffering for Christ because of your sinful idols. I don't want you to live with the what-of, could-of, and should-ofs of life. So let's be encouraged to suffer for doing good as we remember that the Son of God suffered for us. Remember your King reigns, And remember, your Savior saves. Because a life suffering for Christ is a life spent well for Christ. Let me close us in a word of prayer. Father, may that be our prayer, that we will want to live our lives being spent for your glory, wanting to suffer for doing good, helping us not to give up, but to continue to live a life on this pathway of suffering so that others may see how glorious you are. We thank you for your word and I thank you for my brothers and sisters continue to be with us in our discussion time as well as be with us in this week as we continue to die to self so that Christ may be uplifted in our lives. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.